0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: Humans are emotional creatures, right? And we all have the chance right now today to decide, and that word is so important, man, to decide to live a beautiful life, meaning no matter what's going on. you And if... if you know, don't take my word for it, right? Viktor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor, this is all him, right? This is literally the message of his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He's like, when you decide to find something beautiful right now in the moment, and this is somebody saying it from the perspective of being in Auschwitz, right? Like, when you could find purpose in what you're going through, when you can find purpose in your suffering and you know why you're doing this, then you really can have a fulfilling life regardless of the circumstances. So if we all have to make that choice, we have to decide, like, are we going to live a beautiful life? Are we going to do something incredible? Then all of a sudden, when you know what you're trying to accomplish, you have a very specific vision for what you're trying to make of this world and why it's beautiful to you and why it's worth all the fight. Now suddenly you become incredibly resourceful and that purpose Having a sense of significance and meaning in your life, for whatever reason, we're hardwired to find real fulfillment in that.
2: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Thank you, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So I actually came across your story by way of Ryan Holiday's crew, who have been a a consistent referral source for amazing guests. And as I was just saying before we hit record here, uh, I not knowingly was eating your protein bars every single day when I I, I went to the gym, uh, which are delicious, by the way. Um, so <laughs> thank you. I really, really am I'm thrilled to have you here. So I want to start with a question um, that is a bit different than what we've started with before. You know, we've, we've been changing up the show a bit and my business partner and I are coming up with questions that we thought would be interesting. So I want to start by asking you when you first realized in your life that you were destined to be a leader.
1: Wow. Okay. So first of all, I'm going to give you mad props for mixing it up, for pushing to find different questions because my big frustration with podcasts is um, – it's the same questions, right? And so then you struggle to give different answers. So it's like if anybody's (laughs) out there listening to all of these, which obviously you all hope they are, it's just going to be the same thing. So that's rad. So um, when did I realize in my childhood that I was meant to be a leader? I don't know that I did. Uh So for me, I was really ambitious. And I wanted these big, crazy things in my life. And as a child of the 80s, for better or almost certainly worse, uh, when I was young, I just really had a vision of wealth, right? I wanted to get rich, uh, and I, you know, had all the trappings of what that meant in my head—the big houses, the fancy vacations, all that stuff—and so I was really pursuing that and and did pursue that and. Um, film, which was this pure, beautiful, creative outlet for me. And what made film fascinating was I could see a path to creating real wealth, doing something that I really loved. So there was – it It became odd that the the big struggle I ended up having – early in my career as a, as a true entrepreneur was that I stopped making the demand that I generate wealth and service of something that I love and really just began chasing the money and what a catastrophic mistake that was. And, and if I had understood the things that I understand now about how to, um, control your own destiny, to learn, to grow, how to get other people to do the things that you want them to do, I, I don't know that I ever would have left film, uh, which is uh, pretty interesting. But I felt so helpless. And becoming a true entrepreneur was the thing that really allowed me to to grow to help myself. And in that process, really realized that I needed to become a leader and began to understand what a leader really is and how I could provide effective leadership uh, to coordinate a large group of people and move forward. But I, I'm not a born entrepreneur, man. I wasn't that kid that was just like, yeah, I'm destined to be a leader.
2: Hmm. You know, it, It's interesting. Um, you said that the pursuit of solely you know pursuing wealth really was catastrophic. Um, two questions come from that. Do you think that you could only understand the lessons that would come from something like that by going through it only by experiencing it because I feel like often that seems to be the case with almost every single person i interview and of course you know uh, I'd like to deep do a deep dive into why it was so catastrophic, like what actually made you realize it, and what was the real wake up call moment
1: sure, so the first part of that is. I I think humans can get about eighty percent of any experience by talking to somebody. Just we can so relate to each other, especially if that person has any sort of similar background to you, so that you have at least a vaguely familiar frame of reference. So I think you can get a lot from that. And that's why reading is so powerful, even though you've never directly experienced what the author has experienced. You know, you can learn from all the things that they've gone through. So I'm very thankful that that's true. That humans can gain so much knowledge from other people without direct experience. But there's 20 percent that's the nuance, and sometimes that nuance is so powerful and is has um, such interesting emotional connotations that it It really ends up manifesting pretty profoundly differently whether it's something that you learned in the abstract from somebody else versus something that you go through yourself, so I don't discount either. I try to learn as much from other people as humanly possible because uh, you're shortcutting it right There's a great quote, oh, it's either by Aristotle or Socrates you know one of the our old school um, wisdom hander downers that said you know read because you can learn easily what others learn so difficultly so that's really powerful and that's always stuck with me there's so much wisdom in books that is the result of somebody just going through oftentimes something incredibly difficult that we're all grateful that we don't have to go through and yet they're sharing that knowledge but when i can experience something firsthand i do and and i have found in my own failures that I get that you know that last twenty percent of nuance becomes the thing that makes me uniquely me, right? So in that remaining twenty percent are those insights that no one's ever going to be able to hand me. It's the completely surprising connections that my brain makes that somebody else's wouldn't. So in that twenty percent is is some pretty glorious stuff, which is why you know I don't I don't lament uh, failure. I don't lament hard times. I really just try to, to learn as much as I can. And, you know, like you, I do a podcast as well. And sharing that, those things that you've learned, um, perhaps in a difficult way, and certainly sharing those unique connections that you have made from your own tangible experience, there's joy in that. And, and I think all of us uh, enjoy being able to offer that to other people.
2: It's interesting because um, there's a lot of questions that, that come up about wealth for me. But before we go to that, I want to ask you one other question uh, about the film background. I'm curious how the things that you have learned from film um, apply – you apply to running a business and, and running your life today?
1: All of it applies almost in a direct one-for-one kind of way. So I, I realize now that the thing that drew me to film is that film is ultimately psychology and the reason I was so fascinated by movies is not only did they take me on an emotional journey, um, which I am I am forever grateful to storytellers for taking you on that, where it's as close to really experiencing you know that thing, whether it's um, love or war, but at a safe distance, right? So that there's that uh, buffer of oh, actually I'm really just here in the movie theater or I'm at my house, um, but you still get to really go on that emotional journey. It's very very powerful, and as I learned about the psychology that you need to understand in order to get an audience member to feel exactly what you want them to feel at exactly the right moment, to, you know, solidify your thinking, to clarify it and have it to the point where you can tell with absolute concision, you know, just the key points. That's really powerful. And when you look at Even a novel compared to a screenplay, a screenplay is economy of language. It is about getting to the point as concisely and rapidly as as possible and yet having as much emotional impact. So when you're building a business... Man, you have to be concise. You have to know exactly what you're trying to say. You have to know what, what is the, you know, in a movie, it's what are the themes that I want to touch on? In a business, it's what's our mission? Like, what is that thing that clarifies everything so that you know in a movie, in this case, you know what the themes are. So you know what kind of situations the characters need to go through to really illuminate those themes. And then in a business, when you know what your mission is, you know the steps and choices that you have to make, the things you have to invest in uh, or not invest in to make sure that you hit that. So it's having, Understanding the need for that clear through line is, is very, very critical. And then there's just nuts and bolts, man, about how the human mind works that – you have to understand as a storyteller, and you absolutely have to understand as a leader. Because if you make the, mi- the mistake of thinking that people hear what you're actually saying and that you don't have to tailor your language to the way that they interpret words, or um, that you think that you don't have to understand just, hey, how does the amygdala work, right? Like if I trigger fear in somebody, what happens? Like if you're to, you know, as a leader, you get in that space where, man, it's tempting to say to somebody, hey, you're gonna lose your job if you don't get your shit together, right? Uh, but the truth is now you've put them in fight, flight or freeze and that's probably a really terrible place to put somebody in. So how do you get somebody and, – and, and let me walk you through why it's terrible because this is actually one of the things that made uh, filmmaking so fascinating to me and being an entrepreneur is, is a continued study in psychology – is once you really start researching the brain and you understand, okay, I've just triggered their fear center, what does that actually do? Well, it starts to pull blood, literally blood supply from the prefrontal cortex, which is your higher level cognition, your decision making, your high rational thought. You're pulling blood away from that. So that all begins to decline and you're putting it into a much more visceral physiological response of, okay, now I'm Pumping cortisol and pumping adrenaline, and I'm looking for that danger in the bush that I know, you know, do I need to run away? Do I need to fight? Like, what is it I need to do right now? And in a business, you want high level cognition. So you've literally just incapacitated that person. But if you don't understand the machinations, that the human brain goes through. If you don't understand what the amygdala is, if you don't understand neurotransmitters, if you don't have at least a rudimentary understanding of that stuff, you're kind of crippling yourself in terms of understanding how to present yourself, how to present your ideas, and just how to unify a group and get them, you know, get them going in the right direction. So, it it was such um, a one-for-one crossover for me between the things that I was trying to learn about to be an effective storyteller and then the things that I needed to continue learning about in order to be an effective leader.
2: Wow. Um, You know, You said one other thing earlier on in our conversation. You said that uh, the pursuit of wealth solely for the sake of wealth was just catastrophic. And I'm curious what that sort of inflection point in your life was and how it changed how you think about money and wealth.
1: All right. So first, we have to lay the ground rules or at least agree on some core principles. So core principle number one, money is awesome. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Now we've all had but and really though, and I think there's like a weird backlash where people try to convince themselves and other people that money isn't awesome. Um and I just had a guest on Inside Quest. Um he's called the Billionaire PA. And he was homeless for a period of time and, and has really struggled profoundly in his life from a financial standpoint. And he says, Look, I know money isn't everything, but being broke isn't everything either. And it's it, it is so true, like the the flip side of that coin is In one position, you don't worry about money. You still have to worry about everything else, but you don't have to worry about money. And then on the other side of that coin, you have to worry about everything else and money. So money is powerful. like It can make amazing things happen. Money, in my mind, is the great facilitator. So let's say you're Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. Um, What can't you do? The answer is virtually nothing, right? (laughs) So Elon Musk is going to Mars, right? Like you want to talk about really pushing the boundaries. He's going to go to Mars and he's going to do it because he has access to the resources. And if the company had folded and wasn't generating revenue, he would not be able to pull that off. Bill Gates is going to end malaria and he's going to do it because he has access to the resources. He can afford, literally afford to be wrong a lot and he can just keep learning and learning and learning and learning and learning until finally – ah. You know, we got it, and now we know what to do. But he's got the resources to pull that off. Now, what people are responding negatively, and this is where I found myself, when the money isn't meant to facilitate anything, there isn't some greater dream, some greater purpose, some sense of like, I want to contribute to human society. When there's none of that, and it's literally commas in your bank account, you just don't have the energy. You don't have the enthusiasm, the passion to keep fighting. I just, I don't know anybody. And I'm going to say even Warren Buffett right? Even Warren Buffett, and he uses money as far as I can tell as like a scorecard. But even for him, it's not about that. It's about like how efficient can I become in building these companies and making these bets and understanding how the business works. At the end of the day, the money is just a test of a skill set that he finds fascinating that he has a lot of passion for and quite frankly wants to build value for shareholders. So he's thinking about all of that and the money is just an echo out of the skills that he's trying to build, what he's trying to do for um, the shareholders of his company. So when you really scratch into the surface of, of Warren Buffett, there's something really kind of beautiful and interesting going on. Now, many, many, many people, and I very much put myself in this camp. I spent about six and a half years there. It took me another two years to really extract myself. So I always round it to sort of eight and a half years of living purely for money. Meaning there was nothing beyond it that I was like, okay, this money is going to be in service of that, right? Mm -hmm. So I was entirely focused on I'm going to generate wealth for myself and my family and then sort of I'll figure it out after that. Um, And the reason that became so catastrophic is humans are emotional creatures, right? And we all have the chance right now today to decide, and that word is so important, man, to decide to live a beautiful life, meaning no matter what's going on, you and if if – you know, don't take my word for it, right? Viktor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor, this is all him, right? This is literally the message of his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He's like, when you decide to find something beautiful right now in the moment, and this is somebody saying it from the perspective of being an Auschwitz, right? Like when you could find purpose in what you're going through, when you can find purpose in your suffering and you know why you're doing this, then you really can have a fulfilling life regardless of the circumstances. So, If we all have to make that choice, we have to decide, like, are we going to live a beautiful life? Are we going to do something incredible? Then all of a sudden, when you know what you're trying to accomplish, you have a very specific vision for what you're trying to make of this world and why it's beautiful to you and why it's worth all the fight. Now suddenly you become incredibly resourceful and that purpose having a sense of significance and meaning in your life, for whatever reason, we're hardwired to find real fulfillment in that. So not momentary happiness, nothing transient, real fulfillment, right? When you have that, then you can fight, right? You'll do the things that a business is going to require of you to see it across the finish line because you're fighting for something more than commas. But when all you have are the commas, all of a sudden, man, you fatigue. You get tired. You start asking yourself, what the fuck am I doing? Like what is this really about? When you Because the one promise I will make any young entrepreneur, any old entrepreneur, it doesn't matter, there's going to come a time where you're going to be getting your ass handed to you. And at that moment, it's a gut check. And if all you're fighting for is money, you will fail that gut check because it, it may never come, right? The money may never come. And that little thing always sits in the back of your head. Money may never come. And since the money may never come, and I'm not having any fun, like, what am I doing? And you'll come to what I think is the only natural, rational conclusion, which is, even if I'm going to continue to pursue wealth, I'm only going to do it buy something that I believe in. So, hey, if I set a goal for myself, I'm going to be a billionaire one day. All right. Well, then I'm going to do it in service of helping other people in X, Y, Z way. And this happens to be a very large problem. And so it could be a very large business. But at the end of the day, what I'm going to show up every day thinking about is helping that person or those people. I'm not going to think about getting a billion dollars. And that changes everything. So uh, my partners and I had been building a company and, and it just Yeah, it was about profit, what makes more profit, not what feels better, not what makes us feel engaged and alive, just what makes more profit. And so you find yourself fatigued and losing your gut checks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
2: <clears throat> wow. Um, I, well, one, I, I really appreciate the perspective, mainly because I, I really agree with it. Uh, I, I've noticed that if I'm not really excited about something that we're producing or a project, if it's not something that lights my eyes up, it doesn't matter how much profit there's involved in it because it'll never be what it's capable of being in my mind.
1: I totally agree.
2: So, so that being said, um, you know, you use words like purpose and vision and meaning, and Two questions come from that. One, do you think that everybody has this sort of sense of greater purpose or destiny uh, in their lives and their work? And if so, how do they find it? And how did you discover that Quest was what yours was?
1: I don't think everybody has it, not by a long shot. I think everybody can get it. I think it's cultivated. I don't think it's handed down. It's not a lightning bolt from the sky. It's a process uh, of, of really developing Purpose in your life, I think that you could select from an almost infinite number of things to really uh, care about in your life. None of them are right, none of them are wrong. I think it's just a spectrum of which ones cross over into excitement and things like that. Like I'll, I'll give you an example in my own life. I absolutely love video games, <laughs> and if I could find a way to to tap into my deepest passions about transforming humans and attach it to video games, I would for sure in a heartbeat, like it would be amazing. Um, And given an infinite number of lives, one of them would be spent making video games. So, but the reason I didn't do that is I love it. I enjoy it. I have a deep passion for it. Um, But it doesn't give me the same sense of fulfillment that what I'm doing now does. Because, And this is just how I'm wired. So um, looking at the spectrum of things that my partners and I could have gotten into after our technology company. So the technology company was the one that became soul crushing. It was all about money. That was it. We didn't care about the product. We just cared about profitability. Um, And then at the end of that, we all agree this is not fun. This doesn't make us feel alive. Like you said, there was no spark in our eye. And we asked a very simple question. What would we do and love doing every day even if we were failing? And that became a really important question, right? Like what would you love doing even if you were failing? And the answer for us for three very different reasons, and I, was, I think that that's important for people to hear. For three very different reasons, we all wanted to do health and nutrition. Now, for me, I grew up in a morbidly obese family. So for me, it was about saving my family. It was, you know, Mother Teresa has an amazing quote, no one will act for the many, but they'll act for the one, right? When you can picture that person, you know them, you feel connected to them, like you'd really go to the ends of the earth for that person. So I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about people I love and I'm thinking, hey- if I'm going to fail at something, wouldn't I like to at least really give this a shot and do something amazing for them? And then in my own life, I had struggled. So I'm uh, about 170 pounds now. I used to be 230. So it was nutrition that really helped me lose that weight. And and now you know, eating for me is just, it's so easy to do. Like I know what to eat, what not to eat. And, and you know, being as how this is what we do for a living, we've made all the foods that or are making, I should say, all the foods that I want to eat. So um, that's why I ended up here, was I am a transformation junkie, right? So in looking at the kinds of films I wanted to make, they were all films of transformation. They were, you know, the classic hero's journey, the reluctant hero who finds himself, becomes something, becomes heroic. Has to you know make some big sacrifice and and returns to the tribe as as the conquering hero. Um, that that to me is like that's the juice, right? All of us I think want that kind of ascendance in our own life, where it doesn't matter where you start, it only matters where you want to go and the price you're willing to pay to get there. Um, and and so getting into food, seeing that the world was struggling so profoundly, and I think that you know. Um, The problems that we're seeing from a health perspective globally is one of the five biggest problems that we face as humanity. So it was a grand challenge, it was massive, and it was something that was very real and intimate and personal to me. Um, And I just felt like I could now live a life of transformation. I could live a life where my wealth would either come or not come from my ability to actually help people live a better life. Like that to me, like I can't think of anything better, right? So the more people I help, the better I do financially. Yep, count me in.
2: Hmm. So I want to ask you one other question um, about this period. You know, you mentioned earlier that regardless of whatever entrepreneur you're talking to, there are going to be moments where you're getting your ass handed to you, those gut check moments. Um, in building Quest, uh, have you had gut check moments and what were they? And what did you learn from them?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, <laughs> we've had plenty of, uh, you know, Struggles and having our ass handed to us, and in the early days, it was almost comical. I mean, we <laughs> uh, we originally wanted to just be marketers. Like we thought, we're going to create this formulation, and then we'll market it. It'll be amazing. A contract manufacturer will make it for us, nice and simple. No real big capital outlay upfront. And I mean, it really just—if it had worked, it would have been magical. Uh, and we went to the contract manufacturers with the formula. They're like, wow, great formula, guys. We love the taste of these bars. Uh, a couple problems. One, it will rot in three days. And then two, uh, it, it won't produce on the equipment. So um, you're going to have to make some changes. Might we suggest you add some uh, high fructose corn syrup to it? <laughs> and we're like, yeah. So the exact reason we're getting into business is to strip sugar out of these products but still make them taste like they um you know are a candy bar or a cookie or a pie or you know whatever. So we realized I can't believe this is actually true, but no one's going to produce this product for us. So we're going to have to produce it ourselves. So becoming a manufacturer is like a lesson in humility. Like if you don't know anything about it, you're just going to get slapped around from morning, noon and night. I mean it was it was We had so much fun though and that's important. Like even though we were just getting slapped around by our inability to produce, um, we were learning, man. And we were so excited to be that far in over our heads. And I think there's two kinds of people. Type one, when they go in the ocean, they want to stay where they can touch. Awesome. Fully respect that. Type two is like I'm not going to become a better swimmer unless I go where I can't touch. So, we're very much in that ladder camp. So, the three of us, man, we wanted to be as far away from the shore as possible. And because we knew that's how we're going to get good at swimming. So, and we just went in over our heads and learned to swim and, and ended up getting good at it. But there were many a very stressful night. Uh, there was a lot of lost Fridays, a lot of lost Saturdays. You know, we're talking about 2 a.m. on a Friday night when everybody else is at the club and I've got bloody knuckles because I'm under trying to repair a piece of equipment that I have no idea how to repair, but I just know I'm not gonna stop until we get it, because I gotta produce these bars. So and that was the attitude that that all of us had back then. I mean, it's just I mean that's the attitude we have now, but it expressed itself in manufacturing at that time because we couldn't afford employees that knew what they were doing. Um, so yeah, and you have stuff like that all the time. You know, How do you grow? We grew by 57,000% in our first three years. Imagine the kinds of problems that you invite upon yourself <laughs> from a human capital perspective when you're hiring like five people a day. It's just crazy. You don't have time to get to know them. You don't know if they're a good fit. Like you, Even getting them to understand what the culture is. So it's like, okay, well now you've grown, but now you've got to come behind all that, start cleaning it up, really um, – solidify like what does it mean to work at Quest, right? What is that culture? And part of the reason that I started doing the podcast Inside Quest is because I wanted to really show people not only outside the company but inside the company like what's the mindset that got us here? How can you use it in your life? How can we tap into amazing people that are going to have incredible insights that will allow us to go even further? But it was really about helping people develop their own mindset. Mm -hmm. So, and and yeah, that was born out of the difficulties we were having. You know, it's it's interesting.
2: It just makes me think of something one of my mentors said. He said, you know, the problems don't go away. What changes is your capacity to handle them. He's like, you're not going to wake up one day and just be free of problems.
1: Yeah, so true, right? Don't ask for a lighter load. Ask for stronger shoulders. (laughs) Well, let's do this.
2: Let's shift gears a little bit because you know one of the themes that keeps coming up in our conversation is this idea of transformation. I mean, to me, it sounds like, you know, yeah, you make you know, these amazingly delicious protein bars, but what you really do is transform human behavior through nutrition. And I want to talk about the transformation of human behavior aspect of this because I think it's just fascinating. I'm curious, what have you guys learned in the process of building this company about how people transform behavior um, and then specifically how that applies to nutrition?
1: Yeah, so when we started, um, actually a long time before we started, my partner and I had a conversation about what would it really take to um, get people – Because so people that I know and love very, very much struggle emotionally with their weight. And it's this weird downward spiral, right? The more you look and feel bad, the more you need something that cheers you up. Food is amazingly good at cheering you up. And you can put people in an fMRI machine and scan their brain as they eat a bowl of ice cream. It actually does cheer them up. It is not a placebo. Or even if it is placebo, it works. So you can see from a neurochemistry standpoint that it is actually giving them pleasure secreting dopamine and all that. So we know that that's going on and then though it makes them look and feel worse again, which makes them eat, which makes them look and feel worse, which makes them eat. So you get into this death spiral. So we're saying, okay, how do you reverse that? And we were like, well, we could kidnap them, take them out into international waters because I don't want to go to jail for this. I'll disguise myself because I'm doing it out of love. And if we gave that person boiled chicken breasts and steamed broccoli, they are going to get lean. Like that's just a, a fact of biology. But obviously that's a terrible way to go about it because you haven't addressed the mind. Like you haven't helped them see the beauty in themselves, the things that they're capable of, Help them develop their mindset into something that's more empowering, right? So you really haven't done anything. So we said or – and this was the only alternative and we actually laughed. We could make food that they chose based on taste that happens to be good for them. But ha, ha, ha. We're never going to do that because it would be way too much work. And so that's when we set eight and a half years in building this technology company. When we should have just said man up and do it, which is ultimately what we end up doing eight and a half years later because that really is the answer. Instead of trying to change the human behavior, accept that you've got millions of years of evolution pushing us at our back to eat things that are sweet and tasty and delicious. And that's never going to stop. So – We want to leverage that. So we just ask a fundamentally different question. If I know that's the behavior, then why doesn't a food company come along that says we're going to understand not just the science of taste, we're going to understand the science of metabolism, we're going to understand how each and every one of these ingredients impacts the human body, and now we're going to find a way to make things that are good for you taste good so that you want to eat them, that you crave them, and that the more you eat of them, the better off you are from a health perspective. And if we can pull that off, then we've really got something because people are going to start, as they cheer themselves up with food, now they're going to be making themselves look and feel better, which will make them want to do it again. So now they're cheering themselves up in two ways. They feel like they're doing something good for themselves, which they are. And then because they are, they're looking and feeling better, which makes them feel better again. And so you get in a virtuous cycle. And we didn't know just how hard that was going to be when we started uh, but it's it's one of those challenges that when you're passionate about it, man, you just you keep doing it. Do you ever want to quit? no, and that was that's really important because at our last company i wanted to in fact I ended up quitting, which is what became the trigger for us to sell that company and do quest and so that's why we said, you know what would you love doing even if you were failing because we didn't want to paint ourselves into a corner again. I wanted to, what's that thing I'm going to do whether I'm making money or not, right? And once you start finding a way to monetize that, now you know you've got something special. And so we, we think of Quest as a platform and it's going to change and evolve over time. And if you look at what I'm doing with Inside Quest, like the mind is just super important to me. So I'm going to do Inside Quest, right? I'm going to do that show. But now make this whole company a platform where that makes sense, right? Because for us, Quest is a lifestyle. It's not about a protein bar. Protein bar is just one of the things that we're using to help people transform their lives. But if you're just attacking the body and you're helping people look better and feel better – but they're not, they're still in a negative headspace. They still struggle from low self-esteem or depression or anxiety or whatever. And you're not helping them learn tricks and tactics to empower themselves and to really just reflect and explore the human experience. Then you've only gotten halfway there. So really painting that lifestyle by, you know, doing that show. Which also gives me a chance to meet heroes of mine and to interview people that just have amazing viewpoints on things that I immediately take into my own life. And then I'm a community guy, man. I like to connect. So for me to have an opportunity through Quest to build just a crazy community both on the nutrition side and the inside Quest side is It's amazing. So literally, we made a pact, the three of us, we're never going to go public. The reason we're never going to go public is now somebody gets to look at what we're doing and say, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Like, we've invested massively in cancer research. Why? Because we believe that cancer is almost certainly a metabolic disease. And if cancer is a metabolic disease, it's going to be a food company that solves it, not a drug company. So we've just been pouring millions of dollars of our own money into that. Now, if we were public, they'd look at that and say, hey, we don't see a return on that. Like, what are you guys doing? We don't ever want to have to justify that. So, um, yeah, we're going to pursue the things that we believe in the things that we're passionate about. And, and that's just that. Um, and that is super freeing. That is exactly why I don't want to quit because we've really built something that can allow us to pursue the things that we believe in the most, think will have the most impact and that we're the most passionate about.
2: All right. So let's talk about two things. Um, Like I said, I I happen to eat one of these every single day before I hit the gym. So I want to talk specifics about one, you know, what changes can somebody who's listening to this make to lifestyle and diet, as well as uh, behavior, that can ultimately lead them to a, a much better place? You know, emotionally, physically, you know, in whatever way they want to, based on on your research and, and your work that you've done around building this company. And then the other piece of that is, I'm really curious to to hear about sort of stories uh, from your customers that really have blown your mind and, and really kind of just make this, you know, even re even reinforce this idea even more that this is really powerful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, on the mind side, the most important thing you can do is only believe that which moves you towards your goals. And I usually say only do or believe that which moves you towards your goals. But I think people get um, distracted by the do part and they don't hear the believe. People believe a lot of things about themselves that are probably true but that demean their vision of themselves. So if you have a story that you tell yourself about yourself that's negative, it's going to disempower you. It's going to drag you down. It's going to give you less confidence and then make you less effective. And you are less effective precisely because of the things you've allowed yourself to believe. Now – As a kid, I was lazy. As a kid, nobody thought I was going to do anything. I was not a born entrepreneur. I had uh, an employee mentality. I kept my head down. I did as little work as possible and I avoided punishment at all costs. Right. That's where I started. Now, if I had reinforced that in myself and continued to tell myself a story about being the king of remedial jobs or whatever, which is something I actually used to tell myself, then… That doesn't help me, right? If I've really got all this grand ambition, which I always had, I knew I wanted to do something big, that narrative wasn't helping. That narrative wasn't pushing me forward. Now, telling myself the narrative of I'm really smart, I'm one of the smartest people alive, that's a trap, right? Because now I'm going to try and put myself in situations to prove that I'm the smartest. So that also wouldn't serve me and wouldn't move me towards accomplishing my grand ambitions. But telling myself that I learn, that I learn faster than other people, that I'm willing to suffer more for what I want than other people, that does serve me. Because the more I do it, the more somebody, for instance, let's take this. It's an anti-fragile approach. If somebody tells me that I'm stupid, okay, that's fine. But I learn faster than other people. So I may be stupid today, but I don't have to be stupid tomorrow. And so that doesn't become... A problem, right? You can't erode my sense of self because I don't pride myself on being smart. I pride myself on learning. So now, oh, cool. You just showed me an area in which I have ignorance and that ignorance is now negatively impacting me. Awesome. My narrative is is about learning. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to figure this out. And so I'm going to learn at that. So the more people try to assail me, the more they push me to learn, the more I learn, the more effective I become. And it just, you get into this virtuous cycle. So, and that's what Nassim Taleb calls an anti-fragile approach. That literally, the more it's attacked, the better it gets. Not that it resists a lot of attack. That, because even something resilient, if you attack it hard enough, it eventually breaks. But something that's anti-fragile gets stronger the more it's attacked. So, that to me is, is incredibly powerful. People should only believe, only believe that which moves them towards their goals. Notice I don't say only believe what's true because maybe I really am dumb, but that doesn't serve me. Maybe I'm the slowest learner on the planet, but that doesn't serve me. So I'm not going to tell myself that narrative. Okay. From a diet perspective, um, I'll, human nutrition is more complicated than getting to Mars. Like I would rather have <laughs> to get to Mars – then try to really nail down human metabolism. It's that complicated truly. But the great news is there's what I call the blunt force trauma side of nutrition where you can take a few simple principles and if you just do that, you'll be fine. I mean, you lose tons of weight, you'll feel great, you'll look good, you'll increase your longevity by massive amounts. But this is, I recognize what I'm about to say is a gross oversimplification. But start, don't eat sugar. You start That will transform your life. No single thing that I could say other than that would have that kind of massive impact. It has impact on inflammation markers, has impact on blood sugar, has impact on obesity, diabetes. I mean it just – the list goes on and on and on. If you cut out sugar, man, you're way on your way. Step two, lim- limit your carbs dramatically. Uh, For me, I exist on essentially – I don't think anyone's ever going to get to zero, but I get to as close to zero as humanly possible. And the only uh, carbohydrates I eat are like our bars and stuff have like a gram or two here or there. So they slip in and and that that comes from the nuts by the way. Um, So even that's not sugar. Um, But I'll take a, a little bit from our products. Uh, and then um, vegetables, and that's really it. So my carbs are probably sub twenty grams a day. Uh, it's probably even less than that, but I'll be nice and safe. So that in nutrition, you do those two things, and, and you'll radically transform your life. Beyond that, there's a whole host of calculus, and it gets fun and exciting. But only certain people are going to enjoy that.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, being Indian, like it, reducing carbs is probably one of the most challenging things that I have to deal with on a daily basis.
1: Because Indian food is nothing but carbs. Yeah, and humans just want to eat carbs, man. Like, I don't <laughs> care. Look, I'm not Italian. I'm not Indian. I want to eat carbs. Like, carbs taste good. So <laughs> I get it. So the key is to find things that are just as pleasurable, um, you know, but don't have the negative side effects. Yeah. So.
2: So, you know, I'm I'm really curious uh just because I, I've heard uh, you know talks about it on a few other podcasts uh, about this whole idea of personalized medicine and, and sort of what our entire medical industry is going to be as it evolves uh you know as we move towards the future. What what um what if you guys found in your research are are sort of the implications for how we're going to treat health issues in the future and you know what are the issues around like what kinds of things have you learned about medicine and the medical profession uh based on the work that you guys do.
1: So, I think that There's a huge boon coming our way with all the sequencing and how quickly genetic sequencing and genomics is just developing as a science. I think that's really, really exciting. AI, deep learning, even if all they're doing is finding um, wonderfully specific correlations – uh, which typically scientists rightly shy away from, because uh, you really want to get down to causative, but I think that the pattern recognition that 's happening in deep learning is is really fascinating it 's going to become incredibly incredibly useful. I will say, however, that humans share so much in common, so much more in common with each other. That looking for the individualized stuff, eh, I mean look, as you start getting into like tumors and being able to attack a tumor specifically and understanding exactly the makeup of that tumor and how you could you know, say use a virus to go and implant it or um, use a, a, a train – they can actually train like T and K cells. It's crazy and then have them go specifically attack that tumor. It gets interesting, but honestly, man, every cell in your body, every cell, every cell in your body is made up of what you eat. So if you just eat more carefully, like it, and it applies to everybody. So that's where I think the real um, advances are going to be as people become more and more aware of the the impact of what they eat, and then, quite frankly, that more and more food companies give people options that are devoid of the problematic stuff. And that's really where we want to be a vanguard is, look, we're not trying to patent anything. We're not trying to keep it a secret. Like we want people to look at what we do and copy it because we can't make food for every human being on the planet. It's not it We just I wish. It would be amazing. Um, actually, that would be terrible. At the end of the day, <laughs> that's that's a monopoly, right? Like the whole point here is to we want people to have choice We just want other people to look at the realities of metabolism and say, we're not going to make that product. Even though it would sell like hotcakes, we're not going to make it because it ignores a fundamental and profound fact of biology. So, and yeah, we're trying to get as many people on board with that as possible.
2: So I want to ask you a question about something that I read in your bio. um, And I almost never do any research on the people that I interview by design because I I just like to follow my curiosity. But there's something that I read that I was so curious about um, that you realized there was uh, a moment when you generated more revenue in a single day than you had in your former company annually. And I'm curious what goes through your mind in a moment like that.
1: In the beginning, it was a really big deal for me. So when we sold the company – We sold it to a guy that came in who had a very, very different worldview than certainly myself and and my partners. Um, But we really clashed over marketing. And he said, marketing is spreadsheets, it's metrics. And he thought I was crazy that I didn't spend all day looking at like metrics and all that stuff. And I said, dude, marketing is storytelling. It's about connection. And that was exactly why I wanted to do a new company because we – weren't doing any of that in our marketing at the last company and I wanted to focus on connection, authenticity, storytelling. And so when we parted ways, he was basically saying you're a fool and I was saying, "Yeah, we'll see." And so to, you know, to really show the world that authenticity, real connection and All that like touchy-feely human stuff could build a big business. Like that's awesome. And we live in this time where there are hundreds, maybe thousands of companies showing the world exactly that. That dude, people want to know like who are the people behind this company? What do you stand for? What are you trying to do? And how can we be a part of that? Like that to me is the death of the old way of doing business. Where we make stuff and you take it, <laughs> and you know this new world of its engagement, its social, its it's being a movement, right? And that to me is it's so cool. It's such an exciting time to be an entrepreneur and to be a consumer. Uh, I could go on on and on about that one. It was just beautiful to see that that's actually true. It's crazy. Hmm.
2: Well, this has been just. A phenomenal and packed with so many insights. So I have one last question, which is how we finish all our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: I think that the human animal has one chance to be totally unique and unmistakable. And that is just assume for now that every cool idea that's ever going to be has already been thought. What hasn't been done is for those cool ideas to be connected in new and unique ways and we all have a chance to do that. And I think people focus so much on um, fitting into a mold, or even that they set themselves a trap of aiming to be original. Like, don't don't worry about being original, be you. And it is literally those quirks in your personality that are gonna make you unmistakable. It's it's the weird things about you that are gonna make you draw connections between things other people just haven't put together before so that to me is exciting and when I stopped trying to be somebody else and I started trying to be just me as um, weird as I may be at times uh, things really changed and I began to really enjoy my life and oddly enough I began to get attention from other people uh, because suddenly I didn't fit in anymore and I wasn't trying to be weird I was just trying to be me
2: well, like I said, this has been just incredible and and you know packed with so many valuable insights. And uh, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story uh, with our listeners at The Unmistakable Creative.
1: It was really my pleasure, man. Keep doing what you're doing. It's super cool. And I'm honored to have been a part of it. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show
2: with that.